happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the fourth video in the Lessons from Joshua series. As I said in the second video, if you are not serious about God and serious about what you're about to learn, please turn this video off immediately. Or if you're listening to the podcast, please turn the podcast off immediately. Because what I'm about to say, if you hear it, and if you don't apply it, when you come to meet Jesus in heaven, you are going to have some serious, serious regrets. Because God is going to give you the opportunity to apply what you're going to learn today in this video and what you're going to learn if you watch the entire video series. So let's go ahead and get started. We've been discussing the lessons from Joshua. And up until this point, we have not gotten into the actual book of Joshua. We have been in Numbers 13 and 14. In Numbers 13 and 14, Moses had sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, or to the promised land, as it were, to spy out the land. God did not want to send spies to begin with, but he listened to the people and had pity on them. So they wanted the spies to go and search out the land. So God told Moses to go ahead and send 12 spies. Now remember, right in Numbers 13 and 14, Moses is trying to bring the children of Israel who have gone from Egypt into the, into the desert, excuse me, into the promised land. And these 12 spies bring back a report that says, yes, the land is wonderful and great, but there are these giants in the land. Remember, and Caleb and Joshua are the only two of the 12 that say, yes, there are giants in the land, but we're well able to overtake them. God wouldn't have told us to do this if we couldn't have done it. And so the children of Israel don't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listen to the 10 major spies and they believe the majority report, which we call an evil report, which God actually calls an evil report. And God gets very upset with the children of Israel and says to them that none of them will enter the promised land. Only their children will enter the promised land, meaning that none of the people who were grown, who left Egypt, will enter the promised land, but 40 years they will wander in the desert and they will die off. And when they are all dead, then the children of Israel, who are the children of the, the original children of Israel, they will enter the promised land and Caleb and Joshua will lead them and their families are saved. We're going to catch up with Joshua in the book of Joshua. So I want to highlight Joshua chapter one, verse two, and I'm reading Dominantly from the New King James Version of the Bible, there is a verse that I'm going to quote today um, from the King James Bible, and we'll get to that in a second, but follow along with me in your Bible, please. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, that is God speaking to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. This is very important. I want to take apart this verse little by little so that we can get the lessons that God has for us to get out of this verse. The first lesson I want to talk to you about is the lesson of Moses. Now, Moses represented the law on the one hand, and on the other hand, he was tied to that evil report. See, because when there is a law given, 
People think that they know the reason behind the law. This comes from eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so people have this opinion that they know what good and evil is. So God has given this law to Moses saying, this is what my opinion of good and evil is. And so people have this law given by Moses and ultimately, of course, by God. Now, Moses dies. And that's significant for the believer today because what we see is that the law, the one who represents the law, has to be dead before we can receive our inheritance, right? Now, I'm not saying that the children of Israel, if they were to go into the land of Canaan, would have no more law, no more Mosaic law. Of course, that wouldn't happen until Jesus fulfilled all the law. What I'm saying is that this is a metaphor for us today, this side of the cross, is that the law has to be dead in order for us as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, to receive the inheritance. And what do I mean when I say the inheritance? The inheritance of God includes everything from not allowing an evil word spoken against you to live. It includes health, healing, prosperity. It includes peace of mind. It includes long life. It includes peaceful life. It includes complete restoration of anything that was stolen. And of course, it includes salvation and eternal life. So that's what the inheritance is. So the first point that I want to make is that when we believe an evil report, we begin to try to solve the evil report. Let me explain what I mean. Moses gave these 12 spies the authority to go into the promised land and bring back the report. They bring back the report. Ten of them say, yes, it's good, but it's also bad. Two of them say, yes, it's there's a little bit of bad, but there's so much good. God can take care of the bad. We just got to go in and receive the good, okay? And the children of Israel believe this awful report that they are not able to stand up against the bad that's in the land that's promised to them. And the bad in particular are the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, who are descendants from Amalek, and they are very, very tall. And so, and I, when I say very tall, I mean 9, 10, 12 feet. And they're giants. And so the children of Israel are intimidated by this giant population, okay? Just the same way that people are intimidated by things that they don't understand when they come to receive a promise of God this side of the cross. So the children of Israel, they believe this evil report. And what happens to a person's heart when they hear, and especially when they believe an evil report, usually it's not the speaking nor the hearing, but it's the believing that comes from the speaking and the hearing of the evil report that causes the problem. When you believe an evil report, when the children of Israel believed an evil report, immediately their hearts cry out against it. Now, this is something that God has put on the inside of us. Have you ever noticed that people, even people who don't believe in healing, people who think that it's God's will somehow that they're sick, they will get medicine or they will go to a doctor. Well, if it's God's will for you to be sick, why don't you just be sick and die? I mean, come on. I mean, that's a whole different sermon. But my point is, is that there is something that God has put on the inside of each and every one of us that rebels against evil, that rebels, excuse me, that rebels against sickness, that rebels against poverty, that rebels against all of these things. That's why it's been so easy for the devil to lie and use the church to say, oh, you should accept poverty because it's humility. Oh, you should accept sickness because it's humility, which is, of course, a lie in and of itself. 
I'm not going to get into that right now. My point is, is that when you have an evil report, your person, your natural man tries to solve the problem, right? Because now you have a knowledge of good and evil. So when you receive an evil report, the first thing that you do is try to solve it. That's one of the reasons God does not want you to even take in an evil report, not even hear one. And so when you hear these evil reports, you immediately try to solve them because God created you for life. God created you to live. He created you to create life. And so he he built you this way. So when you receive an evil report, immediately you want to solve it, right? This is why, like when I'm watching television with my husband or when I'm watching television on my own, which doesn't happen very often, I'll put on regular television and sometimes like I'll stream stuff that has commercials in it. And these commercials will talk to you about all kinds of diseases and all kinds of medications for the diseases. Because you see, people aren't designed to carry disease. That's why there are medications to heal people because we know in our spirits that we don't want to live with pain, with discomfort, with disorder. We want to live healthy, whole, peaceful, solid. And so that's why pharmaceutical companies are making billions and billions of dollars a year offering us what we think is a solution because our natural man will automatically gravitate towards solving an evil problem. And so that's what happens with the children of Israel. That's what happens with us. When we receive an evil report, we automatically want to solve it. That's why it's so important not to hear an evil report. When you are faced with that, if you hear it, you think you know all of the sides of the situation. In other words, let me give you an example. If, for instance, you get a report from the doctor that says you have a bladder infection, okay? That's something that is not super life-threatening to most people. Most people will do one of two things. They will take the medication that you go get at the pharmacy very quickly. It's over in a couple of days, no problem. It's not very expensive, easy peasy, right? And then some people will say, I want to I want to heal it naturally. And so they'll go to, you know, taking different vitamins and cranberry juice and this and that because they automatically assume that they know the cause and the way to handle of bladder infection, okay? They know that it's because they were dehydrated, maybe they didn't take care of themselves in this way, maybe they didn't urinate when they needed to urinate, whatever, and so they know enough about the situation to try to solve it. Well, the problem with that is that sometimes disorders that come on us are caused from other things. Maybe the bladder infection wasn't caused by you not drinking or you not urinating properly or you eating this much and that much of this and that and the other thing or whatever. Maybe it was, wasn't was caused by any of that. Maybe it really is a spiritual attack. And so you throw some kind of natural remedy at it and it just keeps coming back and coming back, coming back. I have a person in my life who has been attacked with um, a particular infection over and over and over and over again. And it's not usually life-threatening. It's um, fairly treatable by modern medicine. And so this person doesn't rebel against it. This person doesn't fight it with everything in them. They just go to the doctor, get the prescription, and that's it. And so they don't see a need to fight. Well, the problem with that is when something bigger hits, not saying that something bigger will hit that person, but when something bigger hits someone and that person is called to lay hands on them, 
they're not going to be able to walk in the belief that God has already healed it. What if something hits that there is no human cure for, that there is no naturopathy cure for, right? So this is the problem, is that when we receive an evil report, God has created us to rebel against evil, okay? And so the problem with that is that when we rely on our own understanding and we have this supposed knowledge of what is good and what is evil, we think we know all about a thing and we throw our best effort at it. And it might happen that we get it cured or that we get the problem solved, but it'll come back bigger and different because we didn't rely on God. And that's the main problem with receiving an evil report. So that's the first thing I want to get to you. The second thing I want to get to you is that the law, which represent is represented in this story by Moses, has to be dead before you can receive the inheritance. Well, what do I mean by this? What I mean, actually, is that if you think that you can do something to receive an inheritance, you do not understand the concept of an inheritance. An inheritance is something that is given to you by the fact and virtue of your blood or your adoptive name. In other words, just because you are born or adopted into a family entitles you to an inheritance. You don't have to do anything to inherit. I know that you know people like this, or at least you've seen people like this on television or heard stories of people like this who are trust fund babies. They have all this money, right? And they just run amok. They just go wild and out. They go crazy. And their parents say something like, I'm going to cut you off. I'm cutting off your inheritance, right? Well, they obviously aren't doing anything to earn their inheritance, but their parents are trying to use the inheritance as a carrot to get them to behave correctly. Well, first of all, God doesn't do that. And second of all, these people who live under trust funds, who live under the promise of this large inheritance, they don't seem to worry about anything. In fact, they do the opposite. They just do whatever they want and not honor their parents' hard work. They don't honor their family name. They just, I mean, not all of them. They just go crazy, right? And my point is, is that they don't understand that people worked for this. But what they do understand is that nothing they do can really take away their inheritance from them because it's their birthright. Even if their parent was to disinherit them and didn't legally write that down, just said it and then died, of course the child would receive their inheritance. So they don't even think about their actions as affecting their inheritance. That's why it's such an issue. And this is what I want to point out to you today. As a Christian, we shouldn't think of our actions as affecting our inheritance. Now, that is not to say that we need to just sin and run wild and be dishonoring to God because that's disrespectful and it's wrong, first of all. And second of all, inside you, you know better. God has put the truth of his word on the inside of you. And you know that if you start running stupid, then you have the Holy Ghost saying, hey, uh-uh, knock it off. And so you know that God does not just allow you to get away with sin without warning you, without helping you, without telling you, don't do that. But it doesn't change the fact that you're his. There's only one thing that can change the fact that you're his. And that is if you choose to walk away from him and say that he's not your God after you've already tasted all of his fullness. That's a whole different lesson. You can't just lose your salvation because you have sex with somebody outside of marriage. You can't just lose your salvation because you sin. You can't just gain your salvation by going to church every Sunday or helping the poor or not cussing or whatever. There's nothing you can do to win your salvation. There's nothing you can do to lose your salvation besides a choice. You gain, yourself, you gain your salvation by saying, Jesus, I choose for you to be my Lord and Savior. And I believe that God raised you 
after three days in the grave for my sake. And you choose to lose your salvation if you walk away from that on purpose and say with your mouth, okay? So that's, like I said, that's a whole different lesson. My point is, is that we cannot be under the law and properly receive our inheritance. That's why symbolically Moses had to die before the children of Israel could actually step into their inheritance. Because you see what happened in Numbers when the children of Israel thought that they knew good and evil and they were under this, oh, we got to go back to Egypt. We got to do this. We got to do that so that we're, we save ourselves from this bad thing. And so they couldn't receive the inheritance. And that's exactly what a knowledge of good and evil will do. It will stop you from receiving your inheritance because by and large, you will know that you're not worthy of the inheritance. You will say, oh, well, I'm not able to stand up to what I've done. I'm not able to stand up to what's coming. And so therefore, I can't possibly receive my inheritance. Well, that's true. You can't stand up and you can't um, make amends for what you did. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus did do that. And so you have to put your trust in him. You have to let the law die so that you can walk into the promised land. You have to let the law die and all of its dictates and your knowledge of good and evil. You have to let it die so that you can receive the inheritance that waits for you beyond this Jordan. So the next thing I want to talk to you about are the very words that God said. And this is where I want to talk to you about the old King James version of Joshua 1 verse 2, the second half of the verse. Follow along with me. I'm going to put it on the screen since you may not have a King James Bible at your disposal. Please read along with me the words in the King James version of the Bible. They say this, Joshua 1 verse 2, the second half of it, the King James Bible reads this way, which I do give. God says, go into this land, which I do give to the children of Israel. This phrase, which I do give, if you look it up in the original language, which would have been Aramaic, or actually it's been translated into Hebrew, God said, which I do give, and it's the word Nathan. Isn't that interesting? Because we're going to find out later in just a few minutes how that word is so significant, even to the time of Jesus. But this phrase, which I do give, is active. It's an active giving. It's an active verb. It never ends. It's perpetual. It goes on forever and ever ad infinitum. Okay? So the second thing that I want you to get from this lesson today is that God gives the inheritance all the time. It is always available for our taking, just like it was always available for the children of Israel's taking, okay? When they decided to go in and do what God told them to do, then they could receive the inheritance. Just like when we decide to go in and take the inheritance, we can receive the inheritance. It doesn't matter what century we live in, what town we live in, what color our skin is, what sex we are. It doesn't matter. As long as we have a relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ, in this case, represented as Joshua, we can receive the inheritance. Now that brings me to my, my last point before I tell you about the word Nathan, because that's a little bit different and a little bit esoteric. So I want to tell you about my last, my last point is that Joshua had to become the leader of the children of Israel. And 
You may say to me, well, I'm not a leader, so that doesn't apply to me. Well, I would say to you, yes, you are a leader. The Bible says that you are called to make disciples of all the nations. The Bible says that you're to lay your hands on the sick, you're to cast out demons, you're to speak with new tongues, right? Doesn't it say that? At the very least, at the very least, Jesus Christ said in the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents that you're to reproduce. You're to give God back what you are, what he's put on the inside of you with interest. In other words, at the very least, you're to give God back what he put on the inside of you in terms of reproducing yourself with other people. What you've learned, you need to tell people. You need to instruct people, which is one of the reasons that I tell you at the beginning of this video series, and as a matter of fact, at the beginning of any video series, at the beginning of any sermon, if you are not going to put to to use what you're learning, you need to not learn it because God requires you to give that back. And that's exactly what the parable of the minas and the talents is saying, that he's given you this stuff and he's required much of you. So you have to show him that you have produced. Okay. And so my last point is that Joshua became the leader. Well, a leader leads and people behind follow. He had to go across the Jordan first. He had to go into the promised land first. In other words, he had to receive the inheritance first himself, and then he could show the others the way. And that's exactly the point that I'd like to make for you today in what I've just said and what I'm now saying is that God has put things on the inside of you that only you can do. Only you as a joint in the body of Christ can supply to the rest of the body of Christ. But there are other joints that are going to have similar talents as yours, similar gifts and callings as yours, and you're going to have to bring that out in those people, find them, ask God to show you where they are, and disciple them. You are required by God to do this. And if, if you are not leading, even in the slightest way, then I would provoke you to examine your life and ask yourself, why not? Most of the time when people don't lead, it's because they believe that the result is on their shoulders. I spoke about this last week. We don't lead. We are afraid to step out, even to evangelize, because we believe that the result is on our shoulders. Well, let me tell you something. First of all, you have never gotten anybody saved, not even yourself, ever. Not even if you've talked to a million people about Jesus, you have never, ever, ever gotten them saved. Have you heard the old phrase that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Sure, you can lead somebody to salvation, but you can't get them saved. Only God can get them saved. It's only the horse needing the water that provokes him to drink. It's only the human listening to the call of the Holy Spirit on their heart that provokes him to receive salvation. So you've never gotten anybody saved, nor will you ever get anybody saved, but you can lead them to salvation. You've never gotten anybody healed. You've never raised anybody from the dead, but you can lead them. You can allow yourself to be used as a vessel by God to lay hands on the sick, to heal them, to resurrect the dead, to cast out demons, to speak with new tongues. You become a pathway, a vessel, a straw to get the liquid to the mouth. Do you understand? I hope that you do. So let's get back to this little aside topic of Nathan. That's going to conclude our study of lessons from Joshua. But I do want to point out something that with this word Nathan, remember I said that that was one word was a whole phrase. So sometimes when you translate into between different languages, what people say in one language is one word in another language, and it's a phrase in this language. So that's exactly what we have here. The original Hebrew 
which I do give them, which is what God said in the second half of Joshua 1, verse 2, in the King James Version, is the Hebrew word Nathan. Now that word was also the name of a son of David. Now this is completely aside from our lesson, just something that I thought was really cool and that God just shows his supreme understanding of everything in this. King David named one of his sons Nathan, okay? And he promised King David that one of his line would always sit on the throne of Israel, okay? So everybody assumes that it's Solomon. If you watched my Christmas series, you'll understand the difference between Solomon and Nathan. They're both sons of David, and there's a very distinct difference. So what happens is that Solomon has, you know, generations of children underneath him, and they all sit on the throne of the king of Israel. And there's one of them, and his name is Jehoiakim. Well, Jehoiakim does evil in the sight of the Lord. In the book of Jeremiah, we see that Jehoiakim is given um, some instructions by the prophet and by the prophet Jeremiah, incidentally, in the form of a scroll. And, and he takes him, Je Jeremiah takes the, um, the scroll to Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim burns the scroll and does not obey what God says to obey. And, and incidentally, the children of Israel go into captivity because of Jehoiakim's decision. And God gets so angry with Jehoiakim, he says, none of your line will ever sit on the throne of Israel ever again. Now, how is God going to fulfill his promise to David, who, where he said that he would always have someone sitting on the throne, right? Nathan, remember the word Nathan, which I do give to them. He promised David that he would always have someone sitting on the throne. And we all assume that it's going to go through the line of Solomon, right? And then we have Jehoiakim do this thing, and God says, none of your children will ever sit on the throne of Israel ever again, right? Well, then we have Nathan, who's another son of, of David's. And if you look in both genealogies of Jesus, the one occurs in Matthew, one occurs in Luke. If you look, the one in Matthew is the, geneal the genealogy of Joseph the supposed father of Jesus Christ. And Joseph is from the line of Solomon. So is Jehoiakim, right? And Mary is of the line of Nathan. So Mary's line actually was entitled to the throne of Israel. Joseph's line was not based on the promise of God. Therefore, God kept his word in two ways to two different people using these two people. He Nathaned it as I am giving to them. It's perpetual. Jesus Christ came through Nathan in the same way that our inheritance comes through Jesus, comes through Nathan, as I do give to them. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you followed me through that. I sure hope you did because that is profound into the mind and the heart of our God. This is why it's so important that we do not lean on our own understanding of good and evil, that we trust in the Lord God with all our hearts. Because if we don't, our path will be so skewed that it'll be like GPS, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Wouldn't you just rather just get there without all the rerouting? I know I would. All right, this concludes our fourth lesson from Joshua. Stay tuned in this series. We're only going to cover the first chapter of Joshua according to what God's told me to give to you. So this video series won't last but a few more videos, but please stay tuned because they are impactful. And if you don't intend to stop yourself from hearing evil reports, if you don't intend to address the fear as to why you're not leading, if you don't intend to take yourself 
out from under the law and truly believe what Jesus Christ did for you so that you can receive your inheritance, you better not watch these and you, you better wipe your memory clean of the ones that you have watched. All right. We'll see you next Wednesday. Remember that I love you, but most importantly, Jesus Christ Almighty loves you.